So it turns out a lot of us were really bad at communicating. And then we got sober and realized we couldn't just hide from conflict and difficult conversations anymore. We had to actually learn how to handle it. And it started with learning healthy communication skills. In this podcast episode, we dig into communication and how to handle conflict effectively after you get sober. Welcome to Through the Glass Recovery Podcast, where we believe that connection is the opposite of addiction, vulnerability is the antidote to shame, and that recovery isn't just rewarding, but it's also a lot of fun. We're your hosts, Steve and Julie. Listen as we get together with friends to shed light on the hard things, talk about the other side of addiction, and how we create a life so full, there's no space left for alcohol. Before we jump into this episode, we want to shamelessly beg for ratings and reviews. Seriously, though, if you do love our podcast and want to support what we're doing, leaving a rating and review on whatever podcast platform you are listening from is one of the very best ways that you can support us. All right. Hey, everybody. We are here with actually four extra guests today. So we're going to we're going to have an extra person on hand. Things are just a little bit a little bit wonky. My schedule changed twice in the last 24 hours. So we're going to roll with it. I'm going to introduce you to, or have have these guys introduce themselves, I guess, to you. And I'm going to go ahead and start with Melissa because she has been here before. I'm super happy to have you back. Hi, I'm excited to be here. Extra excited for this topic. Um, <laughs> and I have close to two years of sobriety at this point. Um, Steve and I actually share a sober date, which is pretty cool. Yeah, glad to be here. Very cool. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being willing to show up last minute. When Steve was like, Melissa's gonna gonna be here, I was like, oh, she's like perfect for this topic. She's gonna love this one. <laughs> so really happy to have you here. And next I'm gonna go with Chris. Yeah, hi, uh, Chris. I've been sober for a little over seven years now. I live in Washington, D.C. And uh, in my day job, I work for an outpatient addiction treatment provider uh, in the D.C. area. I'm the administrator, so everything non-clinical, that all runs through me. And then basically because of that, because of seeing all the finance and insurance and all the obstacles that uh, patients have actually accessing quality treatment, I uh, started More Than 28, which is about trying to get longer stays and better insurance coverage for addiction treatment so that finance isn't such a barrier for people trying to get sober. Amazing. That is such an important thing to be advocating for. We actually just had a conversation with someone who runs a recovery center and they were just expressing the same thing. There's no number of days that is the magic number for any certain person. And I think it's really cool that you're, you know, making space to to advocate for that. So yeah, it's really nice to meet you and thank you so much for doing what you do. We appreciate it. And I'm going to go with Mike next. Hi, my name is Mike. Um, I just celebrated six years of sobriety on Wednesday, actually. I, I, Congratulations. Yeah. I publish a newsletter for men living a sober lifestyle called Own Sobriety. That's at ownsobriety.com and all the major social channels. And I'm looking forward to this topic for sure. 
Very cool. Yeah, we've followed Mike since the very beginning of our social media journey. And so it's really exciting to meet you. And I love the newsletter that you put out. I know it's for men, but there's so much great stuff in there that I appreciate reading it too. So love what you do. And just so our listeners know, we're going to include links for all of these people in our show notes. So make sure you check those out. Make sure you can get in touch with them and, and follow along with what they're doing and, and benefit from all their different projects too. So really nice to meet you, Mike. And last but not least, we have Higgy. Hi, everybody. I'm Higgy. I, I live in uh, central Indiana. I'm a program director for uh, Detox and Residential Treatment Center. I'm also the CEO of No More Heroin 501c3 nonprofit. I have 407 days clean from relapse today. Amazing. Right on. Thanks for having me. What, what an amazing panel we have today. Yeah, I am so excited to have all of these voices together and sharing. Hey, it's really nice to meet you, and we're really grateful that you're here, too. So we're going to dive into our topic today. I don't know about you guys, but one of the things I realized after I'd been sober for a while was that I had no idea how to communicate. I mean, like, not properly anyway. I didn't know how to express needs or feelings, how to have a hard conversation, or how to argue in a productive way. Learning how to communicate has been a really important piece of my recovery journey. And in talking with other people, it seems to be something that a lot of us found challenging. So how does learning to communicate play into your life and into your recovery? Feel free to share your stories from when it was bad or worse and also how you've grown. Anybody's welcome to to start and we'll just dive into a conversation. Yeah, I'll I'll jump in. I I think this is a great topic and I think you know, there's a reason that we use sort of terms like therapy and rehab, because I think they're they're very applicable when you look at sort of physical health too, right? When you think of rehab from an injury or a physical health perspective, what are you learning? You're learning how to redo things that you used to know how to do, training, you know. And with therapy, there's, you know, occupational therapy where you're trying to relearn how to do certain tasks like feeding yourself or physical therapy where you're trying to rebuild muscle or increase mo- you know mobility and i think you know for us in recovery there's a lot of similarities in how do we how do we relearn how to communicate how do we relearn how to have relationships you know i, I know one of the things that still haunts me is i would wake up the next day and i would know that a good friend of mine told me a secret or shared something truly deep and personal and important to them. And I didn't remember what the conversation was and the guilt that I felt about not remembering that and, and, and knowing where I had let that person down, let that relationship down because I was so selfish for my, for my, you know, my drink was, was very hard for me. And so I've had to relearn how to be a friend. Um, I'm remarried. Um, and I have two lovely daughters and I had to relearn how to be a husband. And, uh, and when it comes to communication, you know, I, um, my first relationship was always with alcohol. Whoever I was in a romantic relationship could only come in second, if not below that. And so how do I be a, a partner and how do I argue in a way that doesn't that doesn't trigger my own guilt and shame, right? If somebody's mad at me, I immediately think I've done something wrong. 
that I'm being caught doing something because I did a lot of wrong things and I got caught doing a lot of wrong things. That's right where I go. And the idea that that people in a marriage argue and then that's normal and it doesn't mean that you're getting divorced. It doesn't mean that it's the end of the relationship. Learning how to tolerate that uncomfort, um, learning how to tolerate that discomfort, that's been what's really a struggle for me is you know, uh, I had one coping skill and that coping skill was alcohol. And when that coping skill went away, I had to relearn and learn all of these better coping skills. I had to learn how to tolerate discomfort. And so learning that communication is ongoing, learning that not everything is black or white and that, you know, just because you disagree doesn't mean that you hate each other. You know, that that's all been very hard for me to to grow, to relearn, to build those skills back up. So that sparked something for me here. I did the same thing. Conversations, the important kind, are usually uncomfortable. And I just avoided them altogether. So I didn't even drink to find the courage to handle the the difficult conversation or the uncomfortable conversation. I just avoided them altogether for like ever. So I've been married to my husband for 16 years. And for 15 of those years, we just never had any hard conversations. We just kept everything quiet, the both of us, because that's how we stayed comfortable, right? And there is nothing good about that. We'd we'd never had an argument, but neither one of us ever expressed a single need or a single belief or a single desire or anything. Neither one of us was growing. Neither one of us was able to communicate or, you know, here's this thing that this this thing that you did that made me feel a certain way like that stuff never happened and just finding the courage to have the conversation is really really important let alone knowing how for me it was even having the guts to open my mouth to say what I needed to say and it took a long time for me to get to that point yeah learning what I say and what I feel has value and that I don't need to defend or explain why I feel or need that, that it's enough that I do. Yeah. Yeah. I, hmm, everything that both of you just said got me to thinking about the thing that I'm super, super passionate about. So I think about conflict in relationships and I think about um, alcohol as a, a coping mechanism for avoiding that conflict or, um, a way to cover up our own needs. Um, it's tough to identify your own needs and to get in touch with yourself when you're constantly numbing it out all the time. And coming into sobriety, it's like um, having the courage to be vulnerable with someone and share when there's something that you need or when something's bothering you. Um, I have learned in my sobriety that going through those conflicts and having those tiny ruptures in a relationship and being able to say something to someone and come back from it because that person actually hears you and you know that it's safe to be in conflict with someone because that's a natural part of a relationship, that's where growth happens. And I couldn't do that when I was drinking because I was so self-absorbed all the time or I was numbing out my needs so much. And um there's a a lot of us hear a lot about like Brene Brown and the courage to be vulnerable, but there's a theory that existed before a lot of the stuff that she's come out with and it's relational cultural theory. And a lot of that framework is rooted in relational competence. It's like building this relational competence through conflict and having the courage to have that conflict. And 
that's a skill, like dealing with conflict. <laughs> and that was really hard for me. And then being in a relationship with a person now who it's the first time I think in the whole of my life that I've had a person who does something different. Like I'll I'll bring a need to the table. I'll voice something that I was afraid to, to say. And he offers me something different. Like he hears me. He repeats it back to me. And um, I feel safe to say, you know what? That thing that you did really hurts my feelings or this really isn't working for me right now. And he hears that, can repeat it back. And that's something different, you know? So I know I know what safe and healthy conflict looks like. And he can say the same thing back to me. And I can say, oof, that hurts. Um, I did not have that skill set when I was drinking. Absolutely. I, I was thinking about what, what causes, causes and effects. I, I came to recovery late in life and I had all these learned behaviors uh, from a very young age. I grew up in a very uh, disruptive home and chaotic mental, physical abuse. And I grew up with a living in a state of fear all the time. And from there, I, I, I transitioned into the, a chameleon personality where I adapted to what I thought other people would like, right? I could be this to someone, be another person to this other person to, to get what I needed, to get acceptance and whatnot. And uh, I never had a true sense of myself. I never knew what I wanted. And I started abusing uh, substances at a very young young age. And like I said, I, I came to recovery late in life and I suffered a lot of consequences, a lot of horrible relationships. And uh, uh, my learned behaviors was to either manipulate, lie, or use aggression to get what I wanted. I didn't, I didn't know how to meet, meet people where they were. I didn't know how to convey what I wanted in an honest manner. So the, one of the greatest gifts that recovery has given me in working the 12 steps of recovery is emotional regulation and being able to control how I feel, convey honestly, like the first step in recovery, spiritual principle is honesty. Being honest with myself with you know about who I am, what 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 I want and need, and be able to convey that to a partner or any relationship, you know, it's it's such a big big deal for us in recovery, you know, and being able to use terminology without aggression, to be honest and forthright, it builds such a such a powerful relationship on whatever level we want to have, and I, I think you know people say that the opposite of addiction is connection. And that's what I love about being in recovery because it gives me a connection, a connection to a higher power. And if I'm connected to him, I'm connected to all of you, right? And we, we come from different walks of life. And, uh, but the substances, substances we used and the reasons why are different, but how it made us feel about ourselves is all the same. So, you know, I think learning how to control our emotions and, um, convey our wants and needs properly give us a bit the best opportunity for survival in recovery and having healthy relationships as well we are going to take a quick break in production here to let you know through the glass recovery is more than just a podcast we offer tons of free resources to help support your recovery we host weekly support meetings we offer a free private Facebook group dedicated to supporting one another's sobriety. And we have a weekly newsletter full of resources, articles, and information to keep you heading in the right direction. 
and if you're ready to take your recovery a step further, we offer affordable one-on-one coaching as well. Visit our website to learn more about scheduling a call with Julie or myself. We would love to sit down with you at no charge and see how we can best support your journey to recovery. Visit our website at throughtheglassrecovery.com for more information about everything we offer. I was so, always so afraid of the emotional transaction. So if I was to express it, express what I wanted or what I, what I needed and, and that would get shut down, I wouldn't know what to do with it. Because I was kind of a bull in a china shop. I was like, this is what I need. And then I would just keep pushing or I would either push my way right through it or I would completely shut down. It was like one end of the spectrum or the other. And to learn how to be okay with that transaction not following through, there's conflict, right? And if that didn't follow through then what do I do afterwards? Because there was never any afterwards. That was, it was broken after that. Me, I didn't know how to follow up with it. And I don't think I put that energy in the right place as well. So like it was a a, a two-way street and this is, so I avoided the conflict of it or I just ran right through it. It was never, I, I just got really angry or I would try and make someone feel guilty about, not meeting that need or when I expressed how I felt. And then, so I just tried to basically numb it and do nothing. I was really good at like doing nothing about it, drinking, drinking to essentially avoid the whole thing instead of getting angry, just carry on and have another drink. But you talk about the courage to I think it takes a lot of courage just to understand and sit in conflict, mm-hmm. which that's hard, especially when I was always the fixer. I always had to, I always felt like I had to fix the conflict instead of let it sit because letting it sit, then sometimes being so quiet about it. Okay. I've expressed my need. Maybe somebody else needs time to think about that situation. I know I need time to think about the situation, but I don't have the patience to allow that to happen. Sitting in all of that discomfort really sucks. Well, we jump in and we're people pleasers, right? We want to keep everybody comfortable and we want to be comfortable. So anytime there's a conflict, we're just like, what do I do to fix this? What do I do to make everybody happy so I can be comfortable again? And then we just abandon ourselves and we give up everything that we need or, or whatever and accept less than what we should because we just want to be comfortable. I was so like good that, at, at least that's how I roll. Yeah, I was so good at minimizing my my thoughts afterwards. I would say it, and then I would turn right back around and be like, if I would fill the void of silence with whatever it was, and then apologize for basically making the situation uncomfortable, and then own the problem anyway. Ooh, yeah, you just said on my big point. Everything for me is internal. So growing up, I was really shy and introverted. So in my teenage years, I definitely discovered that alcohol made it a whole lot easier to socialize. So everything was still internal, but that social lubricant made it easier to at least connect with people and feel like I was 
you know, part of the conversation or part of the activity or part of whatever we were doing. But it also became a crutch, you know, because I developed that habit in my teenage years, you know, all the way up until I quit drinking at like 34 years old. I uh, definitely used that as a crutch. And then once I got sober, I just didn't know how to communicate with people. So that's something I've definitely been working on and trying not to internalize my own feelings as much and learning how to, you know, accept what the other person's saying, accept their feelings and accept just how the, how the communication should be and not how I want it to be. Absolutely. What about like not taking things so personally? Mm. That's that to me, like as, as y'all are saying this, like I'm thinking about like the level of self-awareness that lacks when we're using a substance of any kind and how it's it's like becoming the witness and that's something that in in like my sober journey i've had to teach myself how to become the witness and how to pay attention to moments when i'm like oh my gosh this is wildly uncomfortable and i really want to jump in and do something about this right now or oh my gosh i'm so aware of how i'm showing up in this social situation and everybody's probably thinking this about me to be able to, I guess, zoom out a little bit and go, wow, those are some really interesting thoughts that are coming up right now. Um, how true does that feel? Or maybe I should just let this conflict exist here instead of trying to meddle and do something about it. And that takes an immense amount of practice to establish that kind of awareness. Um, and it's something that I feel like I don't know. I have to do it every single day, but I certainly couldn't do it two years ago. I also keep thinking when you say awareness, I think that comes back to confidence. And when we're not, when we're not drinking or using, we tend to develop a lot more confidence and sobriety. And I know that's been a big key for me is just the confidence to, you know, to put myself out there and to be social with somebody and to just communicate on a proper level instead of, you know, being all self-conscious and hiding behind, you know, my thoughts of my, my fears and my insecurities and what, what people are thinking about me instead of, you know, making my point or making or communicating my, my feelings or whatever. Absolutely. I think as we, as, as we get further down the road in recovery, uh, the, the way we perceive things and, and we understand who we are and, you know, you know, and find find our pathway and what our role in in this world and our own and in our own own lifestyle, that we 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 understand things a little more. I'm 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 a lot like Steve. I I want to be the fixer. I I want to fix things. I want to smooth things out. I I want to I want that ego burst of of being that guy. Right. Well, in 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 doing that repetitively over the years, I I've exhausted myself. I've um put myself in positions that I didn't need to be in for starters. If I could just leave things the way they are and, and let things work out as they will and be there as a support, you know, and, and, and not giving advice. I'm good at giving advice. I, I'm more about giving suggestions and, and uh, supporting people than helping and, and giving advice. You know, I, there's a lot of situations I didn't need to be in. And I, and I was anyway. So in going through recovery and, you know, my multiple relapses and coming back, I've learned more about myself. I've learned who I am, you know, and what, what I expect 
from other people. You know, I I wanted I wanted to be popular. You know, I wanted to be the go-to guy in different situations, and that's really exhausting. So I had to figure out who I am, what you know, and what relationships are even worth you know putting the effort into. So that um, having having that option, I guess, for lack of a better word, to exchange myself from relationships. Not not in getting involved. You know, there's different levels of relationships. You're saying, you know, intimate. There's work relationships. There's social relationships. There's all kinds, and uh, just having the the freedom of choice to to pick and choose where I exert myself has been, you know, such a powerful tool in my recovery. Well, Higgy, I mean, I mean <clears throat> you said you know, like let situations develop how they will, and Melissa, you're talking about like sitting with a feeling or sitting in. You know, and those are all very, those are, those are passive, no, not passive words, but they're words that require time, right? Like those are all things that, you know, you've got to sit and time has to develop. And as addicts, you know, I want it now. And if some is good, more must be better. Absolutely. So, so you know, for me, I mean, and I, I related a little bit to what Mike was saying, you know, for me, it was, I had. I had high achieving parents with very high expectations and I internalized this sense that I was never good enough that, you know, and I, and my self-esteem really suffered and still suffers. And for me, it's the the thing I always crave more than anything else is validation. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and when I'm in a conversation that's uncomfortable, I want to be soothed. I want validation and I want it now. Absolutely. Right, like, instant gratification. Yeah, exactly. And and I don't want to look back in thirty years and be like, I was a good friend. I want that person to tell me I'm a good friend right now. Yes. Yeah. Um, I was just having a good conversation with a friend of mine because you guys know when you get sobriety, when you're when you're when you talk about your sobriety, as I'm sure all of you you know are very public with your sobriety, people come to you with their problems because they feel like you're a safe space to bring those problems. So I was talking to an old friend, and you know he brought up sort of a very personal concern and i um i wasn't sure how i handled it like i i uh you know i was like hey if you want to talk about that more like that's cool but i like immediately like i hung up the phone and i texted him because i'm like uh if you really you know if you need help like i'm here you know i was i was worried that i didn't give him and and if i look at it critically if i look at trying to make myself a better person that text was less about creating a space for him to continue to share and more about me feeling like I needed to be validated for being a good friend. Yeah. Amen. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and that's and that's hard. I mean, that's that's hard with the uh with with the social anxiety and with the feeling like you don't belong and feeling like you don't fit in, right? It's needing I used to um I, I collect things, as I'm sure everybody kind of has a weird thing. And when I used to get drunk, I used to take people on mandatory show and tells around my house so I could show off the things that I had collected. And people had no interest in what I was trying to talk about. <laughs> right. It made me feel really good. good. <laughs> you know, so I, you know, it, it's hard to, it's hard to play the long game, right? It's hard to let just good deeds be their own rewards in time. Yeah. I was just like with everything that you each said, like to tie it together, it makes me think about the importance of just knowing yourself and understanding, yes. you know, Chris, you just like listed these ways that you recognize that you show up in relationship and communication. And 
in order to understand those things about yourself, you have to get to the root issue underneath what's what what's showing up in that relationship. And that's all relationships are is is an opportunity to to have a mirror that is showing something back to you. And in sobriety, we have the ability to start unpacking all of those reasons why we're showing up in the way that we are in relationships. And we we didn't really have that clarity beforehand, you know? So like needing the validation, needing the validation and taking your, or sending that text message to your friend, that that takes a tremendous amount of self-understanding and a lot of work on yourself to get to the root causes that are underneath that. And I just tie it back to being the witness again, you know, like, huh, I sent that text message. What was that about? Yeah, you know? it's like checking your intention afterwards. Absolutely. Right? Um, there's so many different ways we can communicate too, right? We're talking about like some of the internal things, but even when we're talking right now, you have tone, you have eye contact, you have... You, body language. Body language. Uh, there's so many different ways. And then you have like text messages and emails that don't have tone that's just inferred tone right? Which is always kind of, it can be its own disaster. But um, <laughs> two scenarios. I, I I remember at work at at more than one meeting, but the plant manager would turn around and say, silence is acceptance. As in, this is your turn to speak. I'm asking you for your opinion. The floor is open. And if you don't say anything, he's assuming everything's all right. That's up to, I never had the courage to say anything because I always thought that my opinion was stupid or invalid and I didn't want to, or, or, or my thought or my idea. So I never wanted to express that, especially in front of a group for fear of that right there. Like I would start my, the conversation. If I finally found the courage, I would say instantly to protect myself. Okay. Dumb idea. And then I would go ahead and say the idea. So then this way, if it was dumb, I was all right with it because I already told myself that it wasn't very good to start. And then if somebody else was like, no, that's a great idea. Like, I got away with one. So finding the courage to even say that. And then I'm going to bring up an example with dealing with my children when I was, when they were younger, it was really hard to not ask them to put their tears away right? They're crying, they're hurt or whatever it is. And I want to fix it. I want that to go away. And, and, and how am I, what am I communicating to them when I'm like shoving a sucker in their face to try and make them smile or, or give them their favorite food or put on a movie or whatever it is, instead of let them move through it, I'm communicating to them that, that like I'm soothing myself in this instance, right? I'm not really helping them work through it. And, and I'm, I'm thinking of this right now because of communication and I just came here from being with my kids are upstairs and my oldest did a cartwheel in the bedroom and slammed her foot on the doorknob when she did the cartwheel and she was hurt and she just cried. And, and like, I can, I can see the level of self-awareness as I'm moving through it now is okay. I want her to turn it off. No, she doesn't need to turn it off. Like internal dialogue, right? No, she doesn't need to turn it off. I'm okay. She's going to be okay. I just need to be there. 
I don't need to tell her that it's going to be okay. I don't need to try and turn it off. I need to let her try and figure out she's eight. I need to let her to try and figure out how she's going to deal with it and let her know I'm there to help. I've got a question. Does any, does anyone else struggle with boundaries in, in their relationships? Because in, in the conversation we've had so far, something came to me, you know, I, I found myself as a dumping ground for other people's problems, their feelings. And, and I'm an empath and, and I, I feel a lot more, uh, deeply than some other people. I can sense the energies in a room. And I, I had to place boundaries in my life because those things weighed me down because earlier in my recovery, you know, like I said, I, I wanted to be the fixer and I, and, and I just, my mind was so muddled with all these people's problems. And I, I had to put boundaries in place and communicate that to the people that I, you know, that I work with, you know, I, I work in, in the helping industry and everybody's got a problem. Everybody's, everybody's in, uh, in chaos. Their lives are just everything. Everything is urgent. It's gotta be now, gotta be now. You know, I've, I've been living my life in chaos for so long and I need it fixed now, now, now. So I, I had to figure out how to convey that to them without being disrespectful or condescending. And it took so much weight off of me. And I'm just so grateful, you know, for this, for the program of recovery and helping me get myself right so that I can be of service to other people. Yeah. That's like, I, I have to, I work in the helping industry as well. And I'm constantly having conversations with my clients about boundaries. And um, it's interesting working in the helping industry, people outside of it want to come to you with all their problems because they're like, I know what you do for a living. Yeah. And Exactly. And I, I have gotten really adept at recognizing when I find myself dreading those interactions with people or when I'm just depleted. And when I when I start to have that experience, I have learned that like I think the saying is that boundaries are it's not a wall, it's a meeting place. And it's it's Prentice Hempel, I think, gave this quote about how it's like the distance with which I can love you and me fully at the same time. And when I find myself in these these instances where I'm starting to get depleted, I ask myself, how can I communicate this to this person with compassion? And once I've communicated that, how they receive it is not my responsibility. Yeah, if absolutely. I, say, I, you know, I'm I'm really maxed right now. I feel um, like I need to take some time for myself. I'll come back to this later. And if if you're finding yourself in an emergency and you need to talk to someone else, like let's let's talk about some other people you can talk to. Mm-hmm. Redirection. That's the hardest Somewhere part, else. though, right? <laughs> the hardest part is to like not take on that emotional responsibility. Yes. Is yes. is saying is saying no, and 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 like you say, <laughs> redirect it. But I just I can't be here for you right now, and that's hard enough to do because being the fixer, <laughs> and then and then here, you know, you can still and not feel guilty about it. Yeah, that's the hard part. That's also kind of teaching yourself that you don't have to know everything. You don't have to be in control and fix everything. That's right. And then when you convey that, they may not always understand. So you have to be okay with that too. One of the other things that, uh, one of the other sayings I like about boundaries is, is, and I don't know the saying exactly, but it's, it's about a boundary is me actually caring for the relationship. Yeah. Right. It's not there to damage the relationship it's there to maintain it this is me showing care is setting a boundary 
And it, in a boundary, I, I've had this confused for the longest time until it, it, it took a while because everything is practice, communication, figuring out the right words to say, how to be compassionate, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Understanding that it's not a request. It's a, like, a, this is what I'm going to do when or if this happens, because I can't, I, for me, it was always a request and I would get pissed off and then I would start nattering and then get angry and then begin resenting. And like, it just goes down the path after I realize the boundary is a me thing. It's a me loving me. And it's a me, like you said, Melissa, loving the relationship. And it's a, it's to protect the relationship to help it continue to work and operate. I, I think it's about loving the person enough to let them figure it out for themselves. Yeah. Well, it's never, really? we, we can help too much. It's never the boundary, right? It's enforcing the boundary, mm-hmm. right? It's so it's like you can set the boundary because you're like, I'm pretty sure this is what I need. Like, we just can't talk about this issue. Like, I have, I have a friend who's very much into AA, and he is very much he sponsors people, and he's very that's his community. And I, I do a non AA based recovery, you know, weekly group, and I do private therapy, and that's my program. And he said to me years ago, he said, I'm really happy for you. I'm so glad you're sober, but I just can't talk to you about this because I have this way that works for me. And and it was hard for me because he's the guy who had he had already had a couple of years when I knew I needed help. And he's the one that I, you know, drunkenly midnight phone called to say, I need help. Can you help me figure out how to get it? And so once I got sober, I was like, great, we have this connection, right? We can share this. We can, we can talk about this part of our lives together. And it was hard. It was hard for me to honor that boundary. Um, and what I wanted to do was, you know, make it his, you know, be angry at him about it. Right. I wanted to be like upset that he couldn't handle talking to me about it or that he was so rigid in his thinking he couldn't tolerate a different way. And, you know, he's right. I mean, he was he was absolutely right, and he was doing what he needed to do to protect himself in his recovery. But it was it was hard because uh, I've been on both sides of it. I've been the enforcer and the enforcee. You know? Yeah, it sucks having to receive boundaries, doesn't it? Yeah, up <laughs> all our stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Higgy, you 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 introduced yourself as a director for a detox and I'm an admin program administrator. And so I don't know if you're clinical or if a clinical background, but I'm, I'm admin, right? I'm operations. That's my background. That's what I bring. And, um, I had started working in the industry and I was the front desk person at an outpatient. And there was this patient who came in and I saw myself in him so much. We were around the same age. He was also an alcoholic. We had worked in a similar industry in DC in government and like i was like wow this guy is me and i i created a really unhealthy attachment to his yes. right yeah and then he ended up relapsing and i think i was maybe three or four years sober at that point like i had some time but it shook me i mean it shook my sobriety really severely and I realized that like, if you're a clinician, you get trained in counter-transference, you get trained how to separate yourself, but they don't give admin training on how to separate yourself from the patient. And I fell sure. right, I fell right into it. So, and I had to, I had to learn the hard way that like, you need to keep yourself 
you know, separate from from people in early recovery and their journey. It's you know, it's very hard. Absolutely. My my background, I I, uh, I came in at, at the ground floor level as a tech, and I worked my way up into admissions. I've done marketing, uh, gotten certifications in peer support, recovery coaching, intervention. And I'm a group facilitator as well, so I have interaction all the time. I'm the go-to guy for for for, for pretty much everything for uh, for the facility that I work at. So when I talk about boundaries, I I have to enforce them for sure because I would be totally brain dead. My my mind would be, and it was in the beginning because I want to help everybody. I want to help you know. I I want you to find recovery. I want you to have this sense of freedom that I have. And I can't force it on people, right? So all I all I can do is be a you know an example of what recovery can do. Share my story, you know, where I came from, what it was like, and what it's like now, you know, and instill some hope in people, and network with other people that are of different pathways to recovery because everybody's got something to offer, and I have uh, relationships with people from all different pathways you know some people don't work a program they they go to church and and that's okay you know they they all have something to offer me because although i came from a 12-step background and where i where i got sober that alone will not keep me clean and sober and happy in life there's so many other contributing factors in my spirituality you know there's my hobbies that i that i that i like to do and just things add value to my life and uh, I just I uh, I appreciate everybody's point of view here, and I don't I don't know if specifically your backgrounds or whatnot, but you guys all have something valuable to add, and uh, you guys are very insightful, and I love this interaction. I think I'm gonna wrap this up. We've been at it here for about forty minutes, so what I want to say here in general, everyone's talked about how to express your needs, like. How do you say it? Having the courage to be vulnerable. I think no matter what we do, whether you're in recovery or not, having the courage to be vulnerable is is an amazing thing in so many different ways. And we expose ourselves to being hurt and learning how to communicate, whether it's needs, wants, desires. It's difficult when it comes to relationships. And I think it takes all talked about it taking practice and time like no one ever got none of us ever got this right to begin with and i think we're all still learning how to get it right in certain situations with certain people and boundaries and everything else when i say thank you all when i say thank you chris thank you higgy thank you mike and thank you melissa i really appreciate your thoughts and time today thank you thank you thanks Thanks for having me that's great To our listeners, of course, we thank you too. We wouldn't be doing what we love if it weren't for you. We hope you'll be back to join us next week for a conversation about how to recognize the alcohol voice and how to shut it down when it starts getting loud. See you all next week.